Isid Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Simpoesi streaming to you from the Gerigo land of the Eora Nation. My name is Ira and I'm joined in the studio by Aris Virginia Barrett and Jesse Boylan, creators of the video sound performance installation Rapture, currently showing at Carriageworks as part of the Liveworks Festival. Rapture addresses the idea of slow emergencies and explores the palpable manifestations of the environmental catastrophe within the body, bringing attention to the deep connection between the body and the earth. The work considers anxiety as appropriate response to the environmental crisis and asks whether panic has capacity to shift our course and produce alternative futures. Virginia, Jesse, thank you for joining us this morning. I might need to put you on. Now you're on. <laughs> Good morning. How is your morning so far? What are your mornings usually like? works walking there walking back uh checking the tech Mm. yeah yeah well yeah the first week we were here was obviously kind of setting up and installing and getting everything ready and you know finishing our various different iterations for this project and Mm. now we're kind of in um, performance and installation mode so it's just kind of each one, you know, talking about what worked, what, you know, what's what's going to happen the next one because performances aren't always the same. No. So that's kind of exciting part of it. Yeah, and this is one of your rare days off, off meaning that the rapture has this performance element to it. Yes. Where it activates this installation that sits in the space. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, so you have a couple of days break in between those two to yes. recuperate. Yes, um, and then, I mean, the installation is immersive and kind of performative in and of itself. just want to mention that Linda Dement is also a collaborator on this um, and, you know, one of the collaborators creating the video and sound and other kinds of visual elements that create the immersive space. Mm. And talking about Rapture, which is the topic of our conversation Mm -hmm. today, this work actually started back in 2018, and it was uh, only sound and video installation, only meaning that it didn't have this body presence, the performance presence. Can you speak to us, Jesse, a bit about the initial ideas behind the work and what the work looked like or felt like at the beginning? Yeah, sure. Um, It was part of uh, a Bendigo art gallery initiative called Going Solo, which was for regional Victorian artists to kind of propel them into the next stages Mm -hmm. of their career. And I was a recipient of one of these living in central Victoria on Jajawaran country. But ironically, I don't like working on my own. So I quickly brought my, my collaborator, Linda Dement, in and then... In our conversations, um, which also joined um, joined in my partner Jenna Chuk, who's a psychotherapist and works a lot with trauma, mm-hmm. trauma and um, lived experience of of trauma and panic in the world, and we were kind of talking about how we can make an installation that speaks to our 
current times of environmental crisis and you know but but it started off as a very big you know what is environmental crisis and I was kind of like putting every single mm. thing on the board you know war <laughs> catastrophe floods fire drought you know and then Linda was just like okay hone it in and hone it in and hone it in and we were kind of like all right I came up with this idea around how I guess these experiences of environmental crisis manifest in the body and we end up kind of what happens in the world or in the earth uh, in terms of when systems get overwhelmed and, and, you know, floods occur and fires occur and earthquakes occur and this kind the kind of symptoms that we see in the world of catastrophe Mm -hmm. are also what we experience in the body and so Mm -hmm. we we came to this kind of idea that we wanted to have this kind of visual sound exploration of how the body and the world are uh, interconnected and and can't be seen as as being disjointed and and Mm -hmm. what we experience the world experiences and we affect one another and so we were looking for a body and a body that also had a lived experience of these these things and and Linda suggested V because of their own experience of panic and anxiety in the world and as a performer and as an artist and as an all-round legend and (laughs) an excellent collaborator and yeah so that's when V came on board and we kind of we looked at how the body and the world as a it was a it was a performative kind of element as well because there's these there are these other three bodies that V Mm -hmm. performs in the original installation which was kind of the the everyday body the kind of human suit as we called it um was one of the projections that you had to walk walk down towards Mm -hmm. and walk past to enter the room Mm -hmm. and then there was the falling body which you see in this in this version um which is a kind of always falling forever flying kind of out of control body and then the ictic body which v can talk about Mm. more if you want to Mm. and then kind of the three landscape videos which sometimes sync with the ictic body and sometimes are out of sync Mm -hmm. just before we go into the performance and the way Mm. that you developed it I also wanted to touch on this expression slow emergencies which is what the work is uh, in large part about it speaks about this idea that the environmental crisis and catastrophe happens gradually and it's imperceptible to our eyes and to our minds and this is the area of your research as far as yeah. I understand. Can you explain to the listeners a bit more about what is this slow emergency? It seems like a paradox. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And I think that's the term, yeah, I heard the term, I guess, when I was sort of just before I started developing rupture and it really struck me because it was this this kind of idea that the slow emergencies are are imperceptible events. They're kind of the events that are occurring in the everyday. They're mm-hmm. kind of ordinariness of violence, mm-hmm. the kind of things that we we only ever really consider an emergency when a big rupture occurs. So when we see a flood or a fire or an earthquake, that's when we, we signal an emergency. But slow emergencies are kind of the ordinary and the everyday and they build up gradually over time. And they're not yeah. only environmental, you know, it's racial violence and police violence and family violence and these kinds of things which the effects of them build up gradually and then go on to kind of, you know, cause other major ruptures and you know Mm. obviously intergenerational and all sorts of things and in terms of yeah the environment it's like you know an event like say Hiroshima or Nagasaki is a huge event that causes great destruction but it doesn't finish once that's Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. once that's over and so the ongoing impacts of nuclear living in the wake of a nuclear test or a nuclear explosion 
um, you know, that, occur that occurs to people being removed from land in the case of Australia and then the kind of ongoing health, cultural and spiritual effects of, of being, you know, part of those tests or having those tests inflicted upon people. So, yeah, it's this kind of idea that it's out of sight um, mm. yet has palpable effects in the mm. body and the world. Mm. Mm. It's like a certain kind of psychosis that happens in the body register before the mind can, can mm -hmm. comprehend and it often expresses itself as anxiety or panic, mm -hmm. which is where you, Virginia, enter because panic is a topic of your research in your PhD. Yeah. Um, so can you speak a bit about how you approach this work from mm. this um, perspective of phenomenology of panic? Mm. I was very grateful to be invited. I've known Linda for a long time and it was great to meet Jesse and, and kind of start to have those conversations around, I suppose, um, what you would call feedback loops and also mm -hmm. um, mirroring, um, having lived um, like an entire lifetime with uh, panic and anxiety and um, depression, agoraphobia and it's in its various kind of iterations um uh I really resonated with and I, I suppose for me a lot of those anxieties have absolutely arisen from out of slow emergencies mm -hmm. like yeah. m most of my panic was very connected to um kind of cosmology and kind of absolutely the environment having lived out in central western Queensland and you mm. see that kind of uh, the violence within nature I mean I don't know you might wake up in the middle of the night and there's um, roo shooters with you know like um, big spotlights outside your bedroom window and stuff like that so there's a kind of a you see the kind of violence of colonisation I suppose mm. and the violence of farming and the violence of mining mm. um, on these kind of um, desolate lands um, and uh, yeah so I guess having lived with that my whole life and having been fairly debilitated by that spending a lot of my life not being able to go outside and so on um, I, I resonate with this idea of slow emergencies and rupture in the way that they happen in my body mm -hmm. like uh you know, you put on your human suit and you, you know, like go out and plug into the machine, you know, and you appear to be a semblance of a, you know, functional human, mm -hmm. but there's these, all these ruptures going on kind of inside and also not just kind of inside the body at a biological level, but also kind of spiritually and energetically. And I guess that's where I would kind of start to talk about phenomenology of perception and also affect. And I think those two um, things were very core to my research because the, the integrity of the body is called into question by mm -hmm. panic. And there are definitely these kind of floods and fires and ruptures and explosions, like the heart is a volcanic organ is one of the lines that um, come out in mm -hmm. the performance of this iteration of rupture and also these kind of breakages where you fracture and rupture and shimmer and then at some point potentially there's like a a subjective evacuation and I would call that 
the shimmer body and, and all of these things are kind of um, conceptual, philosophical, embodied versions of what's happening in the world. And I think when those things happen to me, when there's a rupture and when the shimmer body kind of breaks from the kind of materiality of the everyday body, there's a thing where the um, you see the world as it really is. You see all the machines of production. You see, and once you've seen that, you really can't unsee that. And mm-hmm. it's very hard to just kind of um, then plug into the machine, you know, and, and be this kind of functional human body. But it's it's very complicated to harness that in a way where you can turn emergency into urgency. And then, and I suppose this is a real driving force around, you know, um, activism, um, whether it's mm-hmm. climate activism or, you know, any other kind of um, activism to not kind of like let the panic absolutely destroy you but to be able to use it for its kind of, you know, energy and um, as a change agent, I suppose. As a force. Yeah. And Jesse was mentioning the videos in which you perform this shimmer body. One of them is uh, a human scale, life scale video Mm. where we see something that I was thinking of as a choreography of panic. Yes. uh, Where you flicker and you speak about these ruptures and Mm. multiplying and shimmering. Mm. can you speak about a, b- a bit of decisions that you had made uh, in, in elements of the performance, what you decided to perform, and maybe you can describe a bit to those who haven't seen it yet mm. and maybe can't because maybe they live somewhere yeah. outside of Sydney. or Yeah. Um, so I guess, as Jesse mentioned, there's a number of performing bodies in the space. There's the falling flying body, which is a very kind of out-of-control kind of... Um, body which is falling from the ceiling um perpetually falling from the ceiling or flying up out and away so it's hard to tell whether which direction it's going in so it's kind of in this no space in this liminal space um and yeah to me that's very that's a very kind of out of control and not able to be captured in a way um it never lands anywhere and it never Mm -hmm. goes anywhere but it's in this um uh, in this uh, space which is like if you're thinking about time I suppose you might think of it as the now that you can never really inhabit mm. and then the ictic body which so Jesse videoed all of these bodies and I just I guess I just I think we put on um, um, Godspeed you Black Emperor and uh, I I suppose channeled some of the gestures which are um, which I know over a lifetime have become part of my um you know catalogue of kind of embodied movements um like tapping my sternum or like flicking um my fingers to kind of get like that electricity out I suppose and Mm -hmm. so yeah there's a sense where I did as you say um, choreograph uh these kind of panicked movements which and I would call those ictic um, movements and um, like a prosody of panic. So mm. ictus is a term from the uh, a medical term uh, referring to a blow or a seizure mm. or also a kind of a, a rhythm, if you like. So you can apply it to prosody, to um, speaking, to poetry as well. 
So I started to apply that to the body, the ictic body, which um, has this kind of uh, rhythmic, fast, uh, a tonal kind of rhythm mm-hmm. to it, I suppose, and and to just apply that to the video choreography. Um, we did a performance of this um, at the University of New South Wales at the Esme Timbery Creative Practice Lab in 2019, which was much more kind of theatrical, where I just stood and spoke the script. Um, and it's very kind of, it's very dramatic, you know, it's very kind of, me- can be melodramatic, I think, the the, the text. Um, so for this version, I tried to pull it back. I wanted to just become um, my friend Annie, who's an incredible maker. Annie Wright um, created a giant boulder, which was um, mirrored these small pieces of slag that we have in the installation, which Jessie collected from... Um, from um, Broken Hill from BHP Mines, um, extractive mining waste, which we have sitting on the floor. And this big boulder was like um, the giant kind of mirror of that. And I'm just sitting on the boulder and kind of becoming the boulder. Mm. And then I curl in on myself to become the boulder and then emerge to speak the text and the text you can actually get online. We've made it um, publicly available. It's very, um, I don't really know how you would say, but it's a kind of oracular, I guess, in a way. And again, kind of melodramatic, very poetic uh, channeling, I suppose. The earth um, mm-hmm. becoming one with, staying with the trouble, you know, very kind of a, a bit of a Haraway feel, I guess, sympoetic. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't know, Jessie, you might have some comments about... It's hard for me to say what it is because I'm channeling it or something. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's everything you've said is, mm. is what it is. And I think just the other kind of elements around that ictic body, you know, and the one that's in the installation all the time, even when V's physical flesh body is not, mm. is the, you know, there's all those kind of gestures and, you know, of your catalogue of you mm. know, panic. And then there's the kind of um, the the shimmering and the kind of doubling and the mm. and the just being you know kind of the 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 physical process of editing and kind of destroying mm. destroying the body mm. and kind of making it um flicker and and making it kind of grow and then shrink and then kind of you know kind of playing as well with with what can't be seen but is always present i suppose as well mm-hmm. so the kind of you know that that body that's beside itself that the body that if we were to truly say and to to express what we're you know, mm. seeing as a river mm. sees, as a mm. as a sky sees, as you know, this yeah. this is what it kind of would would look like. I suppose that's the mm. only thing I mm. would like to mm. add there. Mm. Yeah, I was considering with the floating body because it's the only element I think that always stays there. It's the only mm. screen that never actually goes mm. off. So mm. it's also it seems to speak about endurance in Mm. some way but then also I was thinking about embryo (laughs) floating in (laughs) a bomb and and Mm. the the, the Mm. work is Mm. in part about emergence Mm. and emergency Mm. is connected to the word emergence what is Mm. to emerge after Mm. or out of emergency and then this idea of the body that's becoming Mm. something Mm. was um, something that I thought of as a metaphor yeah Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that that's actually a really good point because, you know, it's 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 quite funny because we were talking about this version and, you know, maybe we could try and make it a little more hopeful and, like, you know, less, <laughs> <laughs> less all doom and, you know, and, you know, but I guess for us that is the – it is seeing – seeing the trouble and, you know, working with it and, and you know, finding ways to, to turn, I suppose, this, this rupture into something you can use, you know, to be galvanised, to emerge, to come out, to work with, to continue and, and to not have that flip side of being completely paralysed. But I think those things both ex- exist at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And speaking about endurance, another point where <laughs> that was very evident to me is in your performance because mm-hmm. you're actually balancing on your sacrum <laughs> for, the, for quite a bit of it. I'm assuming your abs are working really hard. But at the same time, it doesn't seem like you're struggling. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure mm. you are fit. <laughs> you must be fit, so that's why. But there is something in that that you are struggling, but you're enduring as mm. well. Yeah, I think that's a really... It's not something I've talked to myself about that much, but um, it seems to be a key feature of a lot of my performances is um, some kind of bodily endurance. And, and I guess... There is that idea that I am alive and I have survived, you know, mm-hmm. and that that in itself is an act of endurance. Um, yeah, I don't find it particularly grueling um, because I'm in performance. I'm also trying, I'm also mirroring the falling flying body, um, which uh, I'm looking up towards it from the rock and it's kind of falling down on me mm-hmm. and I'm flying up towards it yeah. and I guess I'm dancing with it also and that's a fairly um, effortless thing to do you know mm-hmm. when you're in that space I guess you just kind of go into it and you, yeah uh, I would like that I don't want that effort to be visible I guess mm-hmm. in a way just, yeah mm. <laughs> you're on EC Radio 89.7 FM this is Arts Monday Sympoesis and I'm in conversation with artists Virginia Barrett and Jesse Boyle and we are talking about their uh, sound video performance installation Rupture which is showing at Carriageworks as part of the Liveworks Festival so speaking about the text that you wrote mm. or the script that you wrote, Virginia, mm. for this piece, I um, am aware that you're interested in something called effective writing and mm. effective text, which mm. is the text that speaks to the body and is felt by the body mm-hmm. um, before or rather than uh, the mind. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if there are specific techniques or words um, that you use in order to achieve this affect or the specific way that you approach writing of the text. Mm, mm. Yes, um, I think it's quite a spacious thing. And when I say, um, when I say <laughs> melodramatic, um, I guess somehow that kind of uh, you have to be a little bit excessive I guess in the writing in order Mm -hmm. to rather than kind of clinical so um, I guess in my PhD when I was kind of mobilizing 
um, affective writing and poetics and in an experimental way, there is that um, you have to search for something which isn't immediately um, cognitively available, I suppose. So you're speaking to some other part of the body. Mm-hmm. And I suppose um, there's also... When I'm writing, I'm also thinking about how it sounds. And there's a spaciousness and there's also something about um, tone and pace and whispering or speaking really loudly um, and how to be able to write like that. Um, So um, uh, linguistics, I think, was an important area of research for me looking into some things called the remainder, which are things which fall outside of language. Mm -hmm. So these are like sighs or groans or cries, um, extended voweling or like um, uh, a bit choking. So there's lots of kind of glottal plosives and stuff like that. So these are the kinds of things that I guess I don't think of the difference between writing and and speaking Mm. effectively and so I would mine the remainder really Mm. and create um, what um, one of the theorists I was reading would call syntagmatic monsters so a syntam Mm. is a small part of speech um, one that is connected to other parts of speech in order to create sense if you like and when you're creating syntagmatic monsters you're putting parts together that aren't like meant to go together in a normal Mm. kind of order of language and in doing that you create a kind of an uncanny feeling and a feeling of like disturbance um so yeah I guess those are some of the ways that I think about writing effectively and also then speaking and performing Mm. effectively creating effective vocalities Mm. And that seems to resonate, especially when writing or attempting to express panic, because for me, panic is very much connected to not being able to speak, to feel, you know, choked, breathless, um, and voiceless. Yes. So in some way, to escape language seems to be a strategy. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like escaping the prison house of language. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, it's not some, I mean, you can write about panic clinically, you know, like, uh, sweaty palms or, you know, like my heart was beating fast or something, but that does not communicate anything about panic in order to communicate something about panic. You have to exit Mm. the order words. Logic. Yeah. Mm. And speaking about uh, affect and the resonance of affect, uh, there are also these haptic images. I suppose we could call them haptic in a way that they are immersive in their scale. We are surrounded by them. We feel them again through the body. Can you speak, Jesse, a bit about the choice of images? Yeah, sure. It's um, I guess it's a, they're all kind of collaborative um decisions and also collaborations with the landscapes that we're filming and the places that we're in but you know we've we and I you know traveled across quite a lot of different different countries to to make this this work um you know one in particular is like the 
we've been talking about slag here and the and the BHP, the Broken Hill Mine in in southwestern New South Wales, and um, that was a kind of copper, zinc and silver mine. Um, and and we were kind of working on this project um, as bone dirt around geological sounds and the kind of more than human and mm-hmm. and you know rock bodies and and um, non-linear non-human time as well and and so we travelled to Broken Hill and became quite um, fascinated or refascinated with the line of load and the and the the mountains of slag that mm-hmm. are still. Um, in the centre of Broken Hill Town, you know, the mine is in the centre of the town, and the the slag is just falling off the off the cliff, and it's just left there as kind of um, memories of this extractive um, process that's been going on for for so long. All these these rocks that have been living in the earth for billions of years have just mm-hmm. been you know taken out in an instant, and and now have been turned into this molten down lead, zinc, and silver. And so we both kind of think it's incredibly beautiful these these pieces of mining waste you know but also represents so much and so some of the footage is of actually those the slag heaps Mm -hmm. and the um, mining walls and that kind of being engulfed by that and that kind of sense of time and and Mm -hmm. breaking out of of chronos and on time and um also, you know, speaking to extractive industries um, and then also mim- mimicking and mirroring the things that are physically in the space as well to kind of join the connections between things that are in mm. the screens and then off the screens onto the into the into the performance space. Um, yeah, some of the other other footage are there's there's a mountain in Nagasaki. You know, speaking of the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, um, I was able to travel there quite a few years ago and some of the, the mountain footages of the mountains around Nagasaki and you know nobody knows this you know unless you ask this question mm-hmm. you know and we don't write really oh we, we do write some of the places that we've been but mm-hmm. we sort of don't speak about that it's just embodied mm-hmm. in that work and mm-hmm. um, yes yeah, so this underwater footage of of these ponds in in far east and south Australia or western Victoria there's these kind of underwater pond systems and that become um mm-hmm otherworldly you know we don't really know if we're above the earth or beneath the water and you know again speak to all of these kinds of senses of rocks and other other life forms and the more than human kind of speaking to those things so I think a lot of those decisions but then also Linda is has made these incredible sequences of of um you know, kind of digital art that are like lines that are based loosely on kind of footage that maybe I've made or that we've, you know, been in in landscapes together or completely new kind of digital constructions that speak to this time and fracturing of time as well. You know, she's kind of made this beautiful fog line that that Mm. dances above the mountains of Nagasaki that Mm. sink with the body as well they're they're all dancing together Mm. and then you know she's also made this fog line that dances on its own that's based on the fog that rises from the river of in in Bundanon like places Mm. that we've been Mm. to to do residencies and things so there's these so many different threads in the landscape and they each have meaning and connection for Mm. each of us Mm. yeah one of the most striking things visually as well is the costume that you are wearing (laughs) which is 
uh, I don't know, it could be either seen as you being uh, a dark cloud, which is mm-hmm. mimicking the cloud that is above us, the, mm-hmm. the sculptural cloud, or mm-hmm. maybe burned tree, like child. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if when you perform, you imagine you're some kind of entity, a creature. Is anything like that part of the performance? Yeah, um, certainly um, in making the uh both the sky and the um costume um which is made out of crumpled black paper um uh initially i was wanting to just become rock so that i would be um be indistinguishable from the rock and then emerge out of the rock and then return to the rock so there's that um and then also yeah there's the black paper is very much like kind of charred, you know, and also because it's made of paper, it's just getting more and more tatty and bits of it just are falling off (laughs) every day, like all over the space. So it's like I'm shedding also in the same way that a kind of a burnt trunk might shed. I mean, we speak about fire in the final poem where I talk about the ghosts of um, native animals um, kind of rising up past the blackened torsos of trees and that we in the world then breathe these ghosts in Mm -hmm. um and cough um so yeah there's absolutely a sense of kind of becoming you know kind of burned tree or becoming rock or yeah and and that there's a relationship between all those things in the space so the cloud is speaking to the slag there's a kind of a mirroring going on there and then also my costume is talking speaking to the cloud mm-hmm. so there's a lot of kind of web webby kind mm-hmm. of relationships between all the elements in the space mm-hmm. in 2019 you performed this piece during the fires yeah and is there there must be so the question is more what is it what is the difference between uh performing it now and performing it then and also experiencing it i guess for us as the audience it just adds mm. a whole other layer mm. when it's performed when we are seeing the images of fire and the fire mm. is also outside of the building mm. um, and, and now when we are a bit more distance and maybe in that safer space of slow emergency when it's not mm. as obvious what's going on yeah although you know I, you know, because I live in central Victoria mm-hmm. and we've been having, as soon as I, we left to, to get on the road to come to Sydney, my town and towns around us were being flooded, you know, mm-hmm. so and continue to be now. I, I'm a member of our fu- local fire brigade and, you know, it's, we've, I've just been getting all the emergency alerts while I've been away around different, different crews being sent out to help the SES mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. in northern Victoria along the Murray and things. So in this sense, it was fires then and now it's floods. It, yeah. You know, it's, and again, yeah. with the slow emergencies, it's, it's always there. It doesn't ever feel, mm. I mean, it was particularly uncanny when we were in Sydney for those, because that was in October in 2019 and those fires started really early Mm. um and had already been burning for a few weeks and you know when we were in the city of sydney and we could smell you know and again all the emergency alerts pinging up on the phone and we would smell the the smoke in the air and then we'd walk into the dark space and and be kind of creating it in there and then walk out again and it was in the air again like it Mm. was that kind of very direct connection Mm. um 
Mm. Yeah, but it feels it feels similar. In, yeah, in mm. this I, context. Yeah, I I agree. I think I mean just coming to the radio station this morning where you know it's a deluge out there and I get this sense of um, I know this sounds dramatic but like the end days and um, and potentially I've always felt like that I don't know but um, I do have a feeling that there's a lot of work being made at the moment about kind of uh, more than human relations about you know like caring for the earth uh, um, about uh, well just acknowledging that uh, okay we better begin to understand the earth and develop a relationship with it if we want to survive um, and you know a lot of stuff about I don't know rot and you know um, extending the body I suppose more into the earth and I just get the sense that people are trying to become more comfortable with death mm-hmm. uh, and that this is kind of one way to do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like it's ever-present and, you know, it wasn't just happening then and isn't happening now. That Yeah, again, it's a different catastrophe, but, mm-hmm. you know... Where I, I think working with ideas like so emergencies, y- you become more aware of the imperceptible. Mm. So mm. yeah, and becoming more comfortable is not necessarily a good thing because that's just adjusting to what's happening that's and then right. not really caring. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is then you stop being panicked. Yeah. And, yep. and you're mm. speaking out panic as mm. an appropriate response mm. and as a, as a mm. warning system mm-hmm. that can propel change. So if we yep. become comfortable, then there is no panic, mm. I suppose. That's mm. right. That's right. Mm. But it's a fine balancing act because panic can also create inertia and like, mm-hmm. you know, freeze. Just a yeah, free. Yeah. Balance. So that's a freeze, mm-hmm. um, freeze, flight, fright and fawn, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, we don't want to be there, you know, we want to be in like, you know, we want to be in the other F, which is functional and, (laughs) you know, and fierce, you know, Mm. and fighting. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But recognizing that it's, that it's there, you know, Mm. like that thing you're saying around Mm. not becoming complacent Mm. and, um, you know, being aware of the ordinariness of the, you know, the everydayness of the, of the events that are occurring, that they don't mm-hmm. just happen when we see, when we can see them, I suppose. But also being able to to um, work with that, you know, I think that's the biggest challenge is like, you know, that kind of sense of like, all right, what can we do? You know, what are we doing? What can we do? And how do we work with this and work with one another and mm. work with mm. the imperceptible and work with the non-human? Mm. And, yeah, so I think that's our challenge and our question for this, for this work overall. Mm. Mm. I think collaborative processes can highlight that and um, for me I always consider collaboration not just with my um, human collaborators but with the quality of light, the temperature, the um, rocks, the, you know, uh, the traffic, um, the um, pollutions in the air, the, you know, that, um, that working in this way is kind of the only appropriate way to work within these kind of precarious times Mm -hmm. i don't think a kind of a 
you know, a solo career as an artist kind of striving to gain some kind of recognition in the art world, for example, in the industry is necessarily, for me, very appropriate. I just find what I need in kind of these collaborative processes. Mm-hmm. And we get to, like, challenge one another and, mm. you know, ask questions of one another and ask mm. ask kind of more of our work. And, mm. you know, I've been incredibly lucky, like, working with Linda and, and V, you know, less kind of there's this intergenerational collaboration here as well and I've kind of I've learnt so much in the last, you know, four five years of of doing stuff together and it's just been this kind of like I love that idea of like passing down and passing on and passing through and then also the other way you know Mm -hmm. the kind of reciprocity of 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 this kind of working relationship and you know the kind of you know we're talking about collaboration it's like in the work is like kind of the living as well you know it's not just like the work on the screen is kind of like one one outcome of the collaboration Mm. but you know the kind of other forms are you know living and working together in the world and kind of doing it by living Mm. I suppose which Mm. is important for us you know in this in Mm. this process and in our lives I think so Mm. again stepping in and out of the work is kind of yeah it's it's not separate you know it's like you said you walk into the space and then you walk outside and it's still there it's kind of it's Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. vibrating energetic mm. space mm. which is why you like the word symposis <laughs> which, which is the meaning of that and yeah. uh, I found it in Donna Haraway reading mm-hmm. her uh, mm-hmm. who says that nothing makes itself and everything yeah. is made together yeah. but I think you mentioned that it's a term that comes from somebody else Mary Beth Dempster okay. is the person who first um, coined the term symposis um, in uh, kind of alongside autopoesis um, and Haraway has been using the term symposis that comes from Mary Beth Dempster and um, I apply it to um, think a, about open systems of production um, and creating in crisis if you like so the mouth is always open taking in whatever uh, sustenance and even toxicity uh, that it comes in contact with and sometimes that creates uh, like a rupture in the body or a response in the body maybe you spit that out or maybe you incorporate it into the body and then the body kind of you know returns to a state of homeostasis until the next crisis emerges and from my perspective nothing new can come from inertia everything has to arise out of crisis Mm. so yeah Thank uh-huh.